Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants Limited of Pershore in Worcestershire. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook. Here to exchange news, views and a bit of seasonal advice. Oh, and hopefully answer some of your gardening quandaries as I sit here in the polytunnel uh, just uh, starting to strip the dry skin off uh, the loofah. Yes, growing your own loofah is uh, quite a fashionable thing to do in this uh, day and age, apparently. And goodness... How the weather has changed from high summer temperatures last week. I was glad to get into the polytunnel out of that uh, icy blast from the north over last weekend. You could see the tender foliages, including tomatoes, cringe against the uh, onslaught over those three cold days. Even with three extra layers of clothing and completing digging trenches for my sweet peas, it was difficult to keep warm. But now the wind has changed direction and much-needed rain has uh, fallen. It'll make uh, <laughs> trench preparation and digging that much easier, but it came a little bit late in my case this year. What was in the diary for the last week? Well, uh, I've been hosting a number of visitors to uh, the Rudbeckia trial former RHS council member Colin and Mrs Maggie Ellis popped in and took a break from their bonsai growing to have a look at uh, Rudbeckia and Paul Masters, now the senior buyer at Marshall Seeds, he popped in, as did Matt Appleby, the editor of Horticulture Week. It's interesting to see how the vegetatively propagated Rudbeckia are carrying on flowering and putting on a really good show and uh, lasting much longer than the seed-raised kind. On the questioning front, a number of you are asking about choice of potting compost. It's really quite difficult. I mean, you often see customers with mobile phones calling at home before making a purchase at uh, garden centre and I find myself being the phone a friend for advice at point of sale. One this week uh, included a question on which potting compost to buy for autumn containers. Now you don't want those with uh, added water absorbing granules which are recommended for summer hanging baskets. I mean used in winter containers they can just uh, absorb too much moisture 
and make the growing medium waterlogged if we get a lot of rain. I find it increasingly difficult to uh, give a compost best buy when the recipes for any given brand keeps changing. Evergreen, for example, are bringing out a range of new peat-free composts and I hope to try them in the next few weeks before they get wider distribution next spring. Compost supply could well be difficult next spring with no peat extraction licences in Scotland and Northern Ireland for 2021. That absence of extract licence could well go on for three years. And in the Republic of Ireland, it's said that they've stopped peat extraction too from the 1st of September this year. And as they supply 40% of all UK growing media, things could be quite tricky next spring. Makes me wonder whether we'll go back to the old-fashioned uh, John Innes compost, where we have to uh, replace peat with uh, composted leaf mould. Uh, and certainly if you can get a really good uh, oak leaf mould, then it does, does a pretty good uh, peat replacement. But you need to be well prepared. It's going to take uh, at least two and preferably three years before oak and beech is composted enough to form a, a peat substitute. And what of seasonal advice? Well, I see that uh, a number of companies are advertising bare root wallflowers uh, and I've also seen bundles wrapped up for sale in garden centres. Lovely fragrant flowers next spring. But if you are planting them uh, bare root, make sure they go in good and deep. They need some fertile soil. And if it's a bit on the dry side, then uh, be sure to see that they're well watered until they get really well established. Our guest this week comes from halfway around the world in California. And for Ian Baldwin, international horticultural consultant of great renown, it's morning. The first question I had to ask was about the terrible fires that have been raging in California. California is an enormous state and we're 50 miles away from the nearest one. But the smoke was worse. I've ever seen it. I've been here quite a while. Um, so we had no sun for 16 days, which in California is unheard of. No sun? Uh, no sun. We couldn't see the sun, no stars at night. It was just thick, nasty stuff. In fact, the new phrase we all got now called the air quality index. We all learned that one pretty quickly. Uh, zero to 50 is safe and healthy. We had 402 one day. And it was about 250 for most of 10 days or so. And uh, it goes right as far as stay indoors, never go out. Well, we had to stay indoors for about about seven days. It was dangerous to go outside, hazardous, that was the word. Frightening. So we let the dog out and <laughs> let the dog back in again. That was all the time we did, really. Outside, it was really bad. So people working outside went home. The construction industry, nursery business, farming, they all went home. They couldn't work in that stuff. I mean, it's, it's really frightening. But, but can you give us some indication of the scale of some of those fires? Enormous, Peter. 
Yeah. I, I said to my sister, who still lives in, in, in Lancashire, that one of the biggest fires, and there were 20 fires at one point, one of the biggest ones is almost, well, is the, half the size of Lancashire to give some kind of scale. 360,000 acres, something like That's that. Frightening. Which is just, yeah. And, and the difference now between previous years and because it's, it's a fire ecology after all out here, previous difference now is that it's no longer just the mountains and the, and the, the houses on the top of ravine. It's flat property in the valley. The thing is the fire spread because the embers travel so far on these winds, which could be 80, 90 miles an hour. And the fire line set up by the fire guys and the bulldozers, they just blow right over these things. So we're seeing housing estates two or three miles from the forest now go up in flames because of that. And that's a fairly new circumstance, I believe. That's not, yeah. That was not a common thing in, in the past. Well, if it's any comfort, Ian, uh, we're very much with you Californians and, and we wish you well. Now, I have to ask, what's an Englishman uh, uh, trained in horticulture doing in California? I mean, we've had a pretty fierce northeast wind, damn cold here for early October. Did you just go to escape the weather? Yeah, yeah about 40 years ago, 30 years ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just sort of happened. It's one of those things that if I look back now, I would never have done it. I was probably too young and too, too self-confident to, to be frightened of the consequences if it didn't work out. So... It, so he did. So I was, uh, I was a professor, a lecturer, actually a professor American, lecturer in management studies at a college in, in Guildford, uh, Marist Wood near Guildford. And um, I was fo focusing on the management side of the nursery industry and um, with a gentleman called John Stanley, who I think you've, you know John pretty well. Yeah, we, we interviewed him. We, he was, he's on, a, yeah. on one of our podcasts earlier this year. Yes. He's in Australia, that's yeah. right. So in, in, in 1980, we took look, one look at ourselves and said, you know, uh, do you want to do this rest of your life? And we said no. So we invented ourselves as nursery business consultants. And the, as you well know, Peter, there were no nursery business consultants in England at the time. So we invented ourselves and we told her they needed us. And a few willing souls said, yeah, okay, we'll give you a go. And then we just sort of followed work around the world, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, and America, of course. And um, bit by bit, I did most of the traveling to America and John seemed to do the European stuff, just the way it worked out. And then in 1986, having been over a lot, the CEO of a very large corporation, garden centre company called Armstrong's in Los Angeles said, you know, if you were here more, I'd use you more. And that was sort of, that was it really. I was single, came here for a try and it's just sort of been the way ever since. I've been very fortunate. It's been very good. I admire your ambition and your nerve. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I went to the States first of all in 1976 to uh, an American Association of Nurserymen's Conference. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, their thinking and their operation is on such a scale. That's right. Uh, uh, you have to see it to believe it. Yeah, the scale was 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 daunting, to say the least. And about admiring my, my guts, I was never an entrepreneurial thinker, never thought there would be. It just kind of happened. And I suppose that's the best way. I was never, was not planned. There was no, there was absolutely no strategic planning at all involved in this. It just sort of happened. And then one thing led to another. And um, <clears throat> worked with all of the states, really. So I've been flying around. I, I spent a long time flying around. I've been a major flyer of the airlines over here because you have to travel. You can't do this from home. Well, up to COVID, you couldn't do this from home. So it's been quite a, quite a journey, unplanned journey. <laughs> <laughs> 
On the occasions when I was travelling for WGBH uh, on those uh, really long-haul flights, I found it quite demanding. Mm. Uh, uh, you say you travelled quite a lot. Uh, how did you cope with that? I don't think I thought about it. Like, I had to cope with it. It, it, it was part of the job. I invented it. I volunteered. I wasn't drafted. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> volunteer. So, in effect, I just put myself into, I'd get on a plane on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, and I'll be next Friday. Uh, and each day I would be with a client for a day or two. And that night I would then fly to the next city. So I would go, being in California, a lot of clients are back east, so I'd do the longer haul, three or four hours to, say, New Jersey, first day, sleep there, do a couple of days on site, then fly to maybe Atlanta, two hours, then fly maybe to Texas, two hours, and get back home on a Friday night. I did that a lot. I mean, that was most of my work, including uh, conferences and talking as well as uh, consulting. So, yeah, it was part of the job. I flew 100,000 miles a year for 16 years in a row. I remember that. But it's part of the job, you know, it's like driving in England. You drive different places in England. It's just a bigger scale. You use a plane instead in this country. Well, now, can you make some comparisons between gardening in the UK and gardening on the West Coast or anywhere in the States? Uh, I mean, the approaches are different, aren't they? Very. You know, America is bigger than Europe geographically. Northern California, where I live, and, and Atlanta in Georgia is very different. And again, New York would be equally different. So we have a thing called climate zones here. The country is divided into climate zones by the, by the agriculture department, and there are 10 climate zones. Um, so that drives a lot of what people buy, what people plant, how they look after it. My wife is from Michigan, uh, cold, weather, cold winter, summers warmer than England, winter a lot colder than England. So that's what you might call a, a continental climate, more like Germany or, or Russia kind of thing. Um, but in California, we have the Mediterranean climate. So if you give it water, most things are okay here. Water is the, is the crucial thing. Irrigation is the crucial thing here. Scale is different, Peter, over here. People have much bigger gardens. In, in a garden centre in England, that's where I always garden when I live there, and my family still does, and my sister would still do this. You buy one of each and you put them in a little mixed border. Over here, you buy fives and tens of each because you've got all that ground to cover. Big difference. So the individual purchases each time would be much bigger? Yeah, and that's true. Bigger rings at the till, yes. Yeah. And so are you more wealthy then, generally speaking? Personally? <laughs> no, no, I was speaking generally. <laughs> the gardens, the gardeners are more affluent, yes. Um, the, the, there's not, uh, I don't think it's as much a pastime in America as it is in, in England. So the demographics of gardening are more affluent, yes. Bigger houses, bigger budgets bigger wallets, as they say, and, and more spending, yes. The average spend per house per year over here is about $600 a year, which is the same as £600, a dollar's a pound in, in effect. But the average spend of a, a what you might call a committed gardener is about $1,200 a year. That's quite a lot of money. It is, yeah. But, you know, a tree, a, you buy a decent-sized tree, it's going to cost you $200, 250 People spend a lot of money on container gardening, on their patio, on their porch, irrespective of climate. So there's a lot of decorating goes on too, I think more than in England from what I've seen. One occasion when I did come to California, I went to a company called Rogers. Are Rogers oh, yeah, yeah. still trading? And, and what sort of prices do they work at? 
Indeed, I'm. On, in fact, I'm on the advisory board of Rogers Gardens. So I, I go there quite a lot. I'm on. I'm on the board there. They're very much still trading a, uh, uh, an icon of the industry, a powerhouse, if you like. Not necessarily more expensive, I don't think. Uh, it's an affluent area. Orange County is a very affluent area south of Los Angeles. Um, but uh, I think Rogers will say, yeah, we might be higher than, than the hardware store, but you get a lot for your money. Very high quality, high operation, good quality stuff, and, um, and a great team doing a good job for customers there. Very good company, one of the best. Well, now what about your own garden? Oh, gosh. Well... We have two and a half acres, which to me is like half a Lancashire. When I, I think of where I grew, where I grew up, and, and you know the size of like when I lived in Manchester, it's like half of Lancashire yeah. for me. Two and a half acres. Yeah. <laughs> it's big. It's mostly a field and a wetland. We have a swale, a, a watercourse in seasonal, so we. It's very well developed from a tree point of view, but uh, it was we called it Dead Man's Gulch. We moved in here in July, and it was just hard concrete in fact lisa thought that the part the field was that had been some kind of car park at one point because so hard and but that's the way california soil goes so if you don't do anything with it so we planted things we liked because we couldn't grow them in england or michigan and turns out that most of those things don't actually live in california very well because the soil and the water we have a hard water here and we have a heavy clay soil so you've got to baby these things or it's survival of the fittest but we've got lots of ground cover. We put lots and lots of ground. And it's about seven or eight plants, but genuses, if you like. Um, Cistus does very well here. Uh, Myoporum, some Australian things do very well here. So we carry large parts of the garden or the area with ground cover. That The birds love that too. It's good for foraging for birds. And then we have mostly above ground gardening around the patio. So we've got orange in pots, the tangerine in pots, things like that. Um, and everything has to have water. If it doesn't get water by lunchtime, it's dead by five o'clock. Are you serious? Are you serious? Well, in annuals too. If you, if you, so we don't plant any. I'm sorry to let you down. We don't have any annuals here, Peter. I think Lisa got some coleus this year to just brighten the place up a bit. But it's mostly perennials or, or native stock uh, like the salvias, which are perennials over here. Um, so um, yeah, if you don't water it, it, it won't be it won't be there tomorrow probably. Um, and what about the water supply then? Because that's another thing we hear. We have our own. We have a well. We're on a well and a, and a septic here. We're, we're beyond the bounds of civilization. We don't have a. We don't have water mains, or we don't have sewer mains. So we have our own well, which is very well. It's very nice water, um, and we use it quite. We use a lot. But uh, our water level in the Central Valley, where I live, has actually not changed much over the years. I think there's quite a lot of stress on water from from the southern heavily populated. Los Angeles area, which is really a desert. You've got 14 million people down there living in a desert, and the water comes from the Sierra. That's the the mountains. So that's where the big, uh, I suppose, conflict is for water. Is it's the northern mountains supplying the southern yeah. people? <laughs> Don't get me started on that. <laughs> but, but you have another interest too. I understand you're um, a lifelong. Uh, admirer of uh, the, our feathered friends, the birds. Yeah, indeed, I am a I am a, a bird guy. I, I grew up in Darwin, Lancashire, and I tramp in the moors with scouts or with just gangs of us going around. Was where I learnt my birds, and I, so to come to America where there's like 900 species was just wow to me, it was just tremendous. So we've we developed birds a lot, bird plants, bird friendly gardening a lot here. We have a lot of foraging plants, ground cover. We have big trees that we planted years ago. 
So yeah, we got a little mini reserve almost here. And it's now working from home through COVID, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fortunate to have a bird reserve at my, actually right now I'm watching the bird feeder. We've got a nut hatch on the bird feeder right now. Um, so yeah, it, it really worked out very well. And I love birds, yeah. But what, a, but what about things like pigeons, you know, that are, are the bane of my life, absolutely strip everything that's a bit green. Well, you must have uh, the downside of birds as well as the upside. The bane of our life is turkeys. Wild turkeys, we have them by the dozen. They're everywhere. So uh, they like to pull things out when you plant them. They like to come along next day and pull out the seedlings you just put in your garden, which is a bit... But, but I mean, they're quite, they're quite big. Oh, it's, that's a beefy if, bird, if, yeah, if, yeah. If one of those landed on my veg garden, goodness, <laughs> it would do damage landing. Yeah, they also <laughs> like to use them for dust bath because right now it's very dusty being dry here in summer, so they like to dust, do a dust bath in the veg garden, which I don't particularly like. But the, bane of the, the, the main bane of my gardening life is a thing called a gopher, which is an underground living a rodent, a bit like a big vole with enormous teeth that just likes to pull things down into its burrow. You never see the thing, never come on the ground. You just, in, they go underground and pull things down. So sometimes you'll see an onion half height. You think, hang on, that was a full onion yesterday. And you just pull them down, bulb first. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're pretty annoying actually. <laughs> But, but I'll, I'll take it. I'm very happy here. I'll, I'll take that challenge. <laughs> well, there were two things I recognised in a picture that you sent me ahead of this uh, chat of ours. And the first was the blue juniper that looked absolutely fascinating. You know, a really beautiful plant covering the ground uh, and doing a great decorative job. And then you also had what looked like, um, to us, broad beans, a six or seven feet high, for goodness sake. Well, well there's one thing about California. You give it water, it grows very quickly. It was a cover crop. It was a green manure crop, Peter. It was a bean designed for green manure, not for eating. It is the same as a broad bean. It's a what you might call a cow bean. Farmers might call them cow beans. Just a lot of volume to, to plough back in for green manure. And we didn't get to it in time. So those things, instead of being taking them off at the knees, they finished up six feet high. We, we still took everything down with a hedge trimmer <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and plowed it all in. It was a great crop next year. Really good, very good for the soil. Yeah. Um, but we do cover crops where we can because this clay is heavy clay and we like to break it up a little with organic matter. Yeah. Yes, a bit of planning when looking after the soil goes a long way. Do you have another gardening tip for us by any chance? This sounds very philosophical. You can't force nature. We tried to grow things here that were pretty and should, in theory, live here because they were South African or often Mediterranean, but they just didn't like the soil or the water. In Australian cases, you know, they don't, they don't like phosphorus, right? So um, don't force it. You, you have to sort of grow what lives where you live. And uh, in the end, having gone through probably 50, 50 different species and varieties, we finished up with six or seven that we do like it here. So we've got large patches of things like that because they cope with the soil and the water and, and the temperatures, of course. So I suppose they, yeah, unless you're going to grow everything in containers above ground on your patio and change the soil and trust the water, don't force nature because you really do have to go along with, there's a reason why things like it here and why things don't. Yeah, go with the flow. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And what of the tailpiece? Well... Helen Keller said, Love is like a beautiful flower, which I may not touch, but whose fragrance makes the garden a place of delight, just the same. Well, uh, in that mood, I quite often give uh, an open bloom plucked from the rose timeless charisma to people and suggest that when they get home, they pull off all the petals and place in a bowl to scent a room for weeks. One such visitor on return said, It worked. Our petals are still filling the room with perfume. Well, there's a surprise. A bit of advice that I've given actually working. Look forward to being with you next week. My thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants Limited, Pershaw, Worcestershire, and to my producer, Rich Jarman. Okay, I when uh, when Peter started on Gardener's World, I think was in 19, 1969, I think Peter told me. Um, my dad was a Percy thrower. Uh, completely devotee, um, and he said, "Who's this fella? <laughs> Who's this new fella talking like that, Londoner? Talking like a Londoner? What happened to Percy?" <laughs> but you, you, you converted him, Peter, and he was uh, he was a devotee of yours for the rest of his life. And uh, I'm here today because of the gardening passion of my mum and dad. No question about it. So good job, Peter. That, that's good to hear. And your dad wasn't alone, I'm afraid. <laughs> I did get some stick following the master. <laughs> <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.